Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Mountain Dew Spark of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Whatever Happened to Zyklon? Oh, that was a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about, because I posted about Samoth the other day, or like I made that, did that like extended Mortis gag the other day. I was yeah, yeah. Like, and, and then someone in our comment section, oh, I said, thank you for the YouTube comments, but someone accidentally like typoed Mortuous instead of Mortis. And then I thought, if Samoth, if, Morti, if Mortuous was in the same band as Samoth, that would be a whole different energy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you responded to that whole comment under the impression that it was sincerely Mortuous. <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's a dude from uh, Marduk, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, Mortuous is the vo vocalist of Marduk, or uh, yeah, has yeah. been since B Panzer Division, or I think, or before. I gotcha. Uh, or did you join after Panzer Division? I th I think it was, like, at or slightly before. Let's find out. Marduk trivia. We have yet to do the, uh, the, the, the live stream where we review every Marduk record. But, <laughs> um... It's, Don't uh, fucking spoil it, bro. No, that's advertising, you idiot. Um, uh, By the um, way, who are, who are you again? Oh, that's right. Um, I am checking the lineup of Marduk because this is an important question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. Yes, he... No, it was a Legion back then. Um, so, uh, anyway, I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Uh, um, oh man, have you heard that new, uh, super dissonant band, Void Prism? <laughs> it totally sounds real. It totally sounds real, dude. Just insta-generator. What, what I realized is, you know... Are you ready to do three albums on Dark Descent right now? <laughs> oh, I, Dark Descent, I mean, honestly, like, you know, Profound Lore, the world's my oyster. Um... It's uh, been a long time since I've taken a shot at Profound Lore. They've gotten a lot better, honestly. Once they got more generic, they got yeah. So, so, is, so is Dark Descent, but I'll still talk shit about all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Void Prism seems more like a thing that would exist primarily on YouTube. It would be really popular on like rate your music and Reddit. It right? would it would pick up the algorithm along with mm -hmm. uh, with Oculus and the uh, record with the skeleton with the accordion. Yeah. Oh, the skeleton with the accordion won't fucking leave me alone. It won't. I've listened Dude, to that also, album. It's not bad, but also like... tote, tote bring air by by that band, the Swiss band, who who aren't bad, but it just won't leave me alone. That um, the uh, the Cannon Fever record, the uh, Minnenwerfer record, the Minnenwerfer record is actually very good. Was that the one? I feel is are they the ones who went super like atmo melodic on their last one? I don't know. I've just heard the one of the dude that's like a like a Swiss like military scout. That's like yeah, guy the with the gun of, on the front. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's actually a really good record. I, I haven't listened to anything else, but uh, um, some. Um, but yeah, no Void Prison, man. I I think one reason bands like names like that, kind of like abstract metaphysical names, is like well, obviously it's to avoid offending anyone, right? You don't have to worry about it if you've got some shit like that. But also more than that. It's um, I, I realized this the other day. It's it's the symbolic embodiment of their lack of ideas, right? What are you about? <laughs> well, uh, nothing and everything. <laughs> Morbid Angel already did that, and they were way cooler. <laughs> well, no, yeah, they're, they're, that's a slightly different approach, right? That's that's the actual Lovecraftian horror approach, or you've got your John Notevite approach, right? You're like 
you know, you're, you're about primordial chaos and dragon mothers and shit, which got old real fast during Orthodox, but, you know, works for him. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, worked worked for him. <laughs> it still works for him, dude. He, he, he burns eternal underneath. Um, <laughs> Is that how it works? I, I was just thinking that today. I was walking home with my groceries. Like, John Nutt, I went out like a real G. Like, <laughs> he had the Satanic Bible open in front of his corpse and shit. That's I don't think cool. it was the Satanic Bible. That's Levian bullshit. But I, I thought it was something like that. I, I, I thought it was. Maybe that's I, I remember when it Maybe happened. it was an elaborate. Me- Maybe it was an elaborate meme. Yeah, no, it was like, because I, I remember when it happened, I was like, that seems like a weird book to have open oh, in front no, of them. no, I bet it was a report by police. They were just like, <laughs> oh, he had a satanic Bible in front of him. And yeah, like, yeah. What he actually had was like the 46th grimoire of Thomas Carlson. Something with a lot of triangles on the cover. A lot, ton of confusing triangles. The difference is there's triangle bands like Void Prism, right? We'd have sick tour shirts with like bunch of fucking triangles on them. But then there's tri- there's there's triangles like dissection triangles, right? Yeah, or, yeah, or Aosoth triangles. You know? Aosoth, that's, that's exactly. Okay. Our, our, you know, we've got our our token triangle boys. <laughs> acceptable, acceptable triangle shit. But yeah. uh, all right, so uh, uh, before we get into it, real quick housekeeping. Uh, social media, me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, if you're really into this and talking about triangles, you can follow us on uh, Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes where we talk about weird old records we're passionate about. And uh, $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle where we have in-depth triangle discussions on a regular basis. <laughs> Dude, wait, I have to interrupt with some, like, oh, wait, never mind. And it, never mind, it wasn't quite as bad as I thought, but we've got, they're making a new Avatar movie. Oh, boy, I can't. The, the cover is, it's on my YouTube uh, recommendations somehow. Uh, it's the fucking, it's an Avatar guy. It, it's an Avatar guy and some dude in... Like a one of those breathing face masks, but like shirtless and with dreadlocks, just gently putting his head on the guy's abs. Wait, which avatar are we talking? Are we talking about blue people avatar or yeah, avatar? yeah, Avatar uh, Two? It's oh, called oh, the yeah, Way yeah, of yeah. Water. Yeah. So they're gonna be fucking mermaids now, mermen. <laughs> oh God! It's like you couldn't imagine. Like truly, the furries are running the world. They are. You know that's what they do at the Bohemian Grove. That's why they have that big owl. They call them they call them featheries rather than <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, we got a show to do, don't we? All right, <clears throat> I suppose so. All right, so uh, uh, first up, our, our sort of intro mini review. Uh, I'm wondering, all the people listening now, does anyone out there remember a band called Trash that we covered <laughs> back in the first season of the show? Well, yeah. trash. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you do. You were there for it. <laughs> it's an abstract question. It's rhetorical. But no. So, uh, trash was a uh, trash is a band that are uh, friends of mine who uh, did a really cool record a couple years ago. Um, very um, sort of accidental stenchcore, as mm-hmm. you would call it. Um, did an interview with Zach, the vocalist, and uh, it was a it was a great time and everything. But uh, 
Brandon, the other member of that band who is remote now over in Oregon, has a band that he's been playing with for a little over a year now, I want to say, called Phenom uh, out of uh, Klamath Falls, Oregon. And they recently put out their second full-length record called Of History and Death. And uh, Brandon, he and I still talk here and there. Um, He was a a good local friend down here before he uh, went to the military. Um, And he's managed to keep up. He's playing bass in this band. So he was like, hey, so my band Phenom just came out with this record. Uh, Would you like to cover it on the show? And I was like, well, I'll check it out and I'll let you know. And I started skimming across the record and I was like oh yeah we're definitely gonna cover this this is weird as fuck <laughs> this, this has the element of weirdness that we know from trash but articulated in a very different way so Phenom um, as I said this is their second full length record haven't heard the first one but now I'm very curious is a death thrash band but not in the way you're imagining um Imagine Death Thrash siphoned of all the Bay Area stuff, of all the groove, uh, and you're just left with sort of primordial death metal meets sort of uh, Brazilian or German thrash, and just like the most rigorous and primitive versions of those. Does it sound like Sodom? I it, kinda. I was listening to Persecution Mania on the on the Terminus Spotify the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, this is pretty good." Yeah, no, I would say, honestly, the the thing that immediately hooked me was what this sounds like more than anything is Master. And, Sick. Yeah, and not just... And that's an interesting thing to talk about because, you know, there's a lot of these sort of um, proto-death metal, like Necrovore, Deathstrike, Master-type bands mm-hmm. coming out now. But the thing is, all of these bands have uh, sort of this... Um, deliberately necro quality to them Mm -hmm. like they're really indicating that they're from that phenom on the other hand just sounds like guys arriving at it very naturally and giving it like as good a production as they can and just just doing their thing so this is a three-piece uh brandon my friend is the bassist and the guitarist slash vocalist and drummer Uh, are older guys than him, and I think they've been working together for a really long time. Uh, You just get that sense listening to this music that the core of this is these two guys who have just been playing off of each other and just jamming in basements for God knows how many years. Um, So let's listen to a song from pretty late in the record, uh, a song called Witch. Um, And (laughs) we're... This is such an interesting record to talk about because, uh, shit, well, let me play it and we'll discuss it after that. So let's just go from the very beginning of Witch.
dude, that is sick. I I almost wish we were doing a full review of that. Yeah, no, it's 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 really cool. It's it's so starkly fucking primitive, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's right on my eye. I knew that was good from the moment the trem hit. I didn't need to hear the other notes. Yeah, it's just it's like the main riff on that is a single trimmed note for way too long with a big turnaround at the end. Well, and the the turnaround isn't like melodic or like clever. Well, it is it's clever in the right way. It's the cleverness of just trying to be cru- of being crushing, right? It's just Yeah, it's it's got that like Celtic Frost essence to it. Yeah, Celtic Rose and Master for sure, Death Strike. Just do the ugliest intervals possible. There's no reason you can't just woggle it back and forth down there, even though that's not the conventional thing thing to do. Yeah, really, there's there's no... Um, it's interesting because you can describe this as a kind of death thrash record, but there's no effort to make this death metal or thrash metal. It, it, it really does feel sort of directly derived from Celtic Frost, Master, shit like that. The, the primordial I, ooze I, of extreme metal. I think Bathory as well. It sounds like people yeah, who are yeah. listening to Bathory. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, very different ultimate product. But it's like, who is that Polish band that had the really cool album cover? Oh, Insertus, yeah. Insertus, yeah. It's kind of like Insertus in the sense that they're listening to Bathory. They're death metal guys listening to Bathory, right? And taking, being like, how could we take this Bathory thing and do death metal stuff with it? Yeah, yeah. It's, Which it, is probably what the guys in Master, I mean, I'm sure they liked Bathory. Yeah. You know? and, and this, Given there were only 15 bands to listen to back then, anyway. <laughs> It's like it's like talking about TV back in the sixties. Well, yeah, we only had four okay. channels. We all saw the same shit. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I I really like um one. There's just such a violent motion to this stuff. Uh, that's kind of hard to replicate. If if you're trying to do it, it's hard to replicate. But I definitely get the sense listening to these songs. Um, that there's uh, this deep relationship between the musicians. And it's also, in a sense, not riff-based music uh, in a certain way. Uh, you know, when a riff is played and a drum beat changes underneath it, that's not just a variation. That's a whole different part of the song to these guys. Mm-hmm. There's this wonderful sort of organic, vicious, liquid quality to this music that I think is super fucking cool. Um, yeah, and y- yeah. You can only get that from guys that have just been playing together for so, so, so long. Full band energy? Check. Not riff fetishist? Check. This is what I want to hear. <laughs> exactly. Um, like- so... This well, is the year of me complaining about riffs. <laughs> that's, I want that's them the all play, gone. Yeah. Yeah, I never yeah. want to hear a fucking riff again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, now, now we're going to get to the one that... <laughs> Being really... a critic is all about making sweeping proclamations that change every year. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and nobody can judge you because it's like, bro, I changed. You know? <laughs> well, no, no, I think the point is more... The, the point is more you have to you're you're making pole, different polemical points every day. it's like you gotta you gotta you gotta try to make your have whatever little impact you have right so you gotta make your point and whichever point you want to ch- make changes year to year yeah yeah no, I, like, I get that 
So, yeah. so here's the secret of this record that I'm going to reveal with the next sample, which is, I think there's maybe two songs on this record that have four riffs. And I think that's where it tops out. Most of these songs are two or three riffs total. And they're just working through them with little variations of uh, drum beats, little different articulations of the riff itself. Um, this is jam room music, but not in the way we usually talk about on the show, which is this very sort of organic, wandering, sprawling stuff. Here it's like, we found the good riff, why would we stop playing it? Or they go between two riffs for four minutes, and it's like, yeah, this is the song. And you even get that from the lyrics, which are, um, how do I even describe them? They are stark and uh, minimal and sinister in a way. Like it, The titles are great, dude. Let me read the titles and then I'll read the lyrics yeah. of this track before we go in. Sure. One, Dawn of War. Well, can't argue with that, Dawn of War 2. Um, <laughs> two, The Siege. Three, Maiden's Embrace. Four, Brazen Bull. Five, Tragic Magic. Okay, that's the only one that's a little bit goofy. Uh, six, The Bell. Seven, Valkyrie Myth. Eight, Nero's Candle. Nine, Witch. Ten, The Balance. Yeah, it's just, it's a starkly minimal and like usually there's just like a handful of lines of lyrics that get repeated, but they, they have this very flat matter of fact tone about them that makes it like kind of eerie in a way. <laughs> I get that. And I really like that approach to lyrics. Sometimes I think like, you know, the, the, the best lyric is ah, right. It's like, yeah. you know, it, and sort of like, so bands that understand that and just like reduce i'm, I'm t you know the band that has long lyrics that are awesome and worth reading you know your ruins of beverest or whatever is like one in a thousand so this is yeah <laughs> karma or fate to die by your own work in a presentation to a mad insane king a device devised for torture slaves recoil in terror in their cells beneath the palace floor smoke and screams fill the hallways as the artist is cast inside the brazen bowl Flesh and sinew were scorched, intestines burst, the brain boils, eyes melt from the sockets of the bull, uh, so, or eyes melt from the sockets of the skull, bloody bone and fingers scrape the inner walls of the brazen bull. So let's listen to the, uh, the back part of the brazen bull, uh, a song that features two riffs.
And if all of you are wondering, is that the whole song? Yes. They just keep working those two riffs around the drum kit for about four minutes. And it dude, fucking owns. <laughs> dude, that cry at the end is pretty... After you're reading the lyrics, that cry at the end is pretty uh, pretty heavy, pretty disturbing. It's yeah, just the, a the, single... It's a single cry. Apparently, the um, the bull was said to be hollow and made entirely out of bronze with a door on one side. According to legends, it was designed in the form and size of an actual bull and had an acoustic apparatus that converted screams into the sound of the bull. Yeah, that's it's like old like Baal sacrifice or like Moloch sacrifice shit. You yeah, know? yeah, like, like proto Grecian stuff. Well, it's it's not. It's supposedly it was invented in like the later classical period as in like the classical period as a torture device. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's so, a, a lot of like weird torture stuff on this record. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but not not a sacrifice thing. But like it could have been. Oh, it looks like it became a meme after that. <laughs> looks, looks like. But I I love how just gorked this fucking song is because like let's look at the two riffs you've got this like kind of elegiac almost black metal thing which is actually something that pops up across this record or these sort of like almost modern black metal oh it's ideas. A very modern sounding yeah but then what's the counterpoint riff to that the other half of the song is this like crazed fucking just like down-picked, palm-muted fucking trem riff with this crazy pinch harmonic ending. Which and that's like the entire song. Death, that's like an early 90s death metal riff. Yeah, and it's a, it's yeah. also like a very like master-type riff. And mm-hmm. I, I love how sort of unrelated the riffs are to each other. And, and like through their lack of relation, they become related because they're just ricocheting off of each other. It's The whole song is like A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. It, 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 like it, it's an entire song built off this like brutally primitive skeletal structure and uh i don't know there's something super compelling about that to me just like the vicious minimalism of this music i think is really exciting yeah it is very yeah th- this is very cool um and the nice thing is that they're not boxed in by the conceit of we need to be a retro. I mean, we've had some bands, re- I mean, especially the bands that kind of do the Master Death Strike thing, right? We've had a crop of bands, I guess the f- most famous or the biggest, right, being that um, fucking... Who, who's the guy that you... I can't remember the name because it's one of those death metal band names, but it... Who, <laughs> Altered Dead. Which is actually yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. Me- that's actually a pretty memorable name. But, like, Altered Dead was, like, maybe the most high, sort of, um, high profile. But, like, you know, there's this whole crop of bands that sound sort of uh, primordial death metal 80s and that are actually good, right? Not yeah. like OSDM. But I like that these guys are very, um, uh, yeah, I like that these guys are not, um, limiting themselves to that idea and you know i mean i guess altered dead doesn't really either because they have that like fucking eight string seven or eight string sound right yeah yeah well i i think that also what we're getting is just the idea of like i get the sense that these guys come from the sort of bar metal thing like you can tell these guys really like pantera and shit Mm -hmm. but they really just like real old school death metal as well and a lot of the time you get crap out of that kind of combination. But sometimes there's guys who have this just perfect sense of 
how this music should be played. This sort of just, you know, this mm -hmm. blunt force energy to it. And sometimes they come up with a record like this. And I can tell you, the whole record sounds like this. It is just brutal, stripped down to the bare bones, you know, primitive, evil shit. And, you know, just through that stripping down of the music, they arrive with something genuinely darker than much more supposedly sophisticated bands usually reach. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back, and I've got a few questions for Terminus listeners. Do you like drinking beer? Do you like having sex? Do you like aimlessly firing a Colt 45 out the window of your car as you roll in kind of a, a, a slow to medium speed in a residential area? Well, good news, boys. There is a new Jungle Rot record out on Unique Leader Records titled A Call to Arms, and uh, it's pretty tight. So, um, so we've talked about Jungle Rot uh, a few times on the show, um, and I kind of brought this album on just because I wanted to talk about Jungle Rot. I think that mm -hmm. not enough people talk about them or respect them as an enduring death metal band. I didn't think that the album itself was going to have a ton of surprises for me, but it kind of did. Like, this is a, a pretty unique record in, in a few different ways, which we'll get into. But um, for a little bit of backstory for people, uh, so Jungle Rot is a death metal band that's been around for 30 years now, and yet, who talks about them? Who Only you. Yeah, you are the only person who talks about Jungle Rot. And apparently Maggot Stomp. <laughs> apparently the guy from Maggot Stomp Records really respects Jungle Rot. All right, um, nice. Yeah, yeah, he commented on the uh, the Instagram one time when we were talking about the uh, 200 Stamp Wounds record mm. last year. We were talking about Jungle Rot there. Um, so Jungle Rot is a, uh, a sort of groovy mid-90s death metal band that just kept going. Uh, those bands are supposed to fade out after two albums, but Jungle Rot just never stopped. Uh, let's see. Let me count them up real quick. Uh, this appears to be their 12th full-length record, <laughs> and uh, they have not lost steam the whole time. Uh, it's, it's such a weird position for a band like this to have been around for so long, to have so many kind of dedicated fans as to produce a career like this and yet you never mm -hmm. hear about it in extreme metal circles um and i i have theories about why that is but i'm i'm gonna kind of quickly shoot it to you because you've heard me talk about jungle rod for many years but this is probably the the first full record you've heard right uh yes it is yeah so um Earlier Jungle Rot, I, I was going to say, what did you think about this? But to give people a preface, so earlier Jungle Rot stuff, for the most part, is defined by big, grooving death metal riffs, uh, uh, very simple kind of primitive song structures, just a, a, a few riffs apiece, sort of A, B, A, B, C stuff, um, and uh, a flare of sort of primitive hardcore that a lot of death metal bands ignored. 
um, they were sort of, uh, you know, even in the, you know, mid nineties to early two thousands, they were engaging with hardcore in a way that not a lot of death metal bands were doing. And I think the way they did it sounded very different from a lot of people because jungle rots, primary hardcore influence is going to be sort of, um, proto beatdown stuff, you know, mad ball, terror, judge, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's not exactly the sort of proto slam stuff you would hear from, you know, uh, New York band suffocation, internal bleeding. And, uh, it's certainly very far from deathcore bands, but the hardcore influence has always been really prominent in these guys. I, I would assume based on their proximity to Chicago, cause these guys are f- coming from a uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, right over the border of the mm. state. Um, this record, though, is uh, moving in kind of a different direction. But here's where I'll kick it to you. What did you think about this? <laughs> I've got I've got a lot of interesting kind of theoretical questions so, about this. So album. you think it's a different direction from their hardcore influence stuff? I, or... I think it's still very hardcore influence, yeah. but this definitely sounds substantially different from a uh, lot of jungle rot. I'd be interested to go back and listen. Um, yeah, I mean, this is I like it. It's very, um, reminds me of the non-slaughter we reviewed, uh, earlier this oh, year. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Not, not, not like directly, but you know, uh, fundamentally these are mostly kind of death thrash riffs. Um, although they're also all basically hardcore riffs, you know, there are certain parts where you're like, Hmm, what makes this a death metal riff? Oh, right. They're playing a single string trem instead of chug over the beatdown. Yeah. Right? It's, um, uh, definitely a band that. I mean, maybe this record isn't quite the right one to judge, but I think definitely a band that arrived at a lot of aesthetics that became mainstream in the beatdown scene and in, uh, you know, now in Maggot Stomp and whatever, long, long before that was actually being done so much in the hardcore scene. Right? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's interesting because, like, before this record on Unique Leader, they did three records on Victory Records. And it like mm-hmm. it almost makes sense that it's like oh yeah you know like guys who love hate breed would love jungle rot it's the same it's the same picture you know <laughs> or like guys who like like I don't know the acacia strain right um yeah now it's it, it's it's just simple heavy groovy music but then on this record and uh, you know we got tastes of this earlier in their career mm-hmm. I guess my thesis statement is this is is this just the world's heaviest crossover record? So that's an interesting question. I saw your comment on that or heard you you think you texted me that, and I was like, it doesn't sound like crossover to me because it's good. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I think I've, like, been seriously... I think I found crossover to be an inherently disappointing genre, um, never really delivering the degree of hardcore or thrash I wanted. Um that might be like obviously I more probably more than you like a lot of sort of punky thrashing stuff from the eighties, right? But yeah. like I would check out DRI back in the day and be consistently disappointed. Um, the, you see, that's interesting because I can draw a very direct thread from like mid era DRI, mm-hmm. like uh, the albums like Crossover or Thrash mm-hmm. Zone, directly to this. Like or, there's, or I remember like I. I thought I would like that early corrosion of conformity stuff, and I just like could not get into it. Aside from their cover of the fucking uh, Fleetwood Mac, 
<laughs> no, it's a, but so the way this album is delivered, it's like, I almost have trouble calling this death metal. It's like aesthetically very death metal. You've got these really fucking raunchy puking vocals and shit. Like the vocal mm-hmm. performance is yeah, so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of those guys where like, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the vocalist for this band, he's over 50 now, uh, you know, Dave Matrice. And it's like, as he's gotten older and his vocals have weathered a little bit, you can tell that it's like, they're breaking in parts, but they're sicker and grosser as a result. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so, but apart from you know guitar tone and vocal performance and some of the structural ideas, a lot of this is just straight up sort of like thrash and hardcore riffing. I don't even know if this is primarily a death metal record. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. There are very few things that are recognizably death metal riffs, and when that when there are, they sort of pop out. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, a trem riff with like five notes in it. Um, <laughs> it's um, it's very very minimal writing, and they do quite a good job with it. In part because um, you know, they just know how to give the riffs that uh. That just that specific something that can make even you know almost all of these are stock riffs right yeah um yeah. Y- they're not even doing the thing where you do you know the thing that makes good like hardcore riffing where you make a kind of striking version of a stock riff or whatever or you know the bands that really understand second wave stuff that can do like a grinding three chord riff and make it hit hard right um this is um. They really are playing stock riffs for most, like almost all the record, but they just know how to make them land. I think I, I it's, I'm sure it's sequencing. Um, they're short, well-paced songs, and also the guitar tone is great. The guitar tone is phenomenal on this the record. Gu- <laughs> it's not excessive. It's not like a beat-down tone. It's just very heavy. Yeah. So let's um let's jump to a sample to show people what this sounds like. So I want to go to Genocidal Imperium. Um, so something that's really cool about Jungle Rot is that they have no there's no reticence for combining good ideas. Um, so Jungle Rot emerged. You know their origins are in the early '90s, but they really started in the mid '90s with their first demos. So they've engaged fully with this idea of sort of like grooving death and roll thing. Um, and there's also just no sense of like, Oh, hardcore is off limits. New metal is off limits. Any of this, they're just trying to create great in a sense, kind of rock and roll songs through death metal technique. And, this is one of many songs on the record that really idealizes that.
Jungle Rod is one of the last remaining bands that accepts that an open note chug eighth note is the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, uh, that second breakdown there, you, you, which, it, that one I perked up, I was just like, fuck yeah, um, dude. <laughs> they were down, they were down picking every single note, right? Yeah, you can um, tell that they're old school guys just like straight down picking everything. Yeah. yeah, no, that made it super heavy. So I tried to think, and then the solo, you were thinking about new metal, and none of those riffs were really new metal, but the solo was like a, a Chaos AD solo or a Roots solo. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about this, as at least as it's formatted now, I can definitely see the similarity to the early 90s Max Cavalera kind of vibe. Yeah, that's, right? a, that's you're, interesting, because I, I hadn't you're considered... I hadn't considered Chaos ID Chaos AD as being like formative to this, but it really is. Yeah, I think kind of yeah. Like you get that um, uh, sort of you come in from you're able to do really kind of crisp technical riffing because you're coming from a death thrash background, like a good musician, but you're you're just decide to be you just are really into brainless shit and you want to make something really heavy. Uh, and you're like into hardcore and uh, new metal and all that, and you know, so it sounds. This stuff sounds like the. Obviously, there's some stuff from that era of Sepultura that's just you know uh, cringe, right? Yeah. But um, but like some stuff that's quite good, and so this evokes kind of the the more just thrashing songs from those records. Without, uh, let's see, what else do I like about this? They're not doing tone, um. They're not tone mongering in the way that a lot of beatdown bands do. There's yeah. no attempt to create some sort of thick, chunky, fuzzy HM2 shit or anything like that. There's like a, and they're not messing with like digital effects and stuff like that to make something like super clanging and in like robotic. There, uh, which can be good, but um, it's it's just a really it's a wide thrash tone. Um, and so I'm trying to think what else makes them good. What, what makes them good, right? Are those all stock? It's you know, it's not like they're like bad. They're all good stock riffs, right? They're all they're, right. They're not like they're not like bad stock riffs where you're like, oh god, right? Um, yeah. But they're um, over and above being you know, uh, you know, being tasteful about that, right? What makes them good? Uh, some of it would be yeah, the precision of the plane. It's precise but not soulless, right? Mm -hmm. um, Another would be the fact that the guitar tone's not so thick, it prevents the guitars from cutting. So when they do trem or a clipped thrash, it still has that edge, that bite to it that I really like in tone. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it, it's very good. It's not like sinking and, into just bass, you know? 
Yes, and it's um and the sequencing is also quite really good, right? That's it, the the riffs don't repeat that long. They they're all about getting to the next riff and the effect that that has. Um, which if you're playing riffs like this, there's a, is a good idea. And there are always like little things happening, right? Like there was you know even just the tremolo run that led into the vocals there was cool. Dum 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 dum. So like a little bit of diatonic kind of melodic flavor, and it just goes away, right? You, you do the uh, the solos great um yeah it's, it's very every every riff throws into the next in a hard way yeah the, the, there's very um a very distinct quality of necessity to these songs mm-hmm. now because they're they're so short they're so compact they're so energetic and the other thing is um i we need to talk about that melodic tremolo riff because I that's something that actually pops up a lot on this record is these sort of melodic flourishes that you'll uh-huh. hear. And I'm thinking that maybe a weird point of reference would be the band Ill Disposed, who I've talked about a little bit on the show before. Yeah, yeah, we sampled um, them, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, we, we probably used them as a, like an interlude one time. Uh, Ill Disposed, uh, a Danish melodic death metal band that also just really loved groove and new metal. Um, and like Jungle Rot, they, they saw no real distinction between those ideas. It was just... How do we make cool rock and roll songs? They were accidentally a death metal band in a sense, you know? And I, I think you can kind of apply that to Jungle Rod as well. It's like Jungle Rod is making party music. It's just party music for, you know, metalheads and bikers and shit like that. So necessarily it'll sound different. It's definitely party music. I need to remember to put this on the jukebox, right? This will probably be on the jukebox. Yeah, this is jukebox music at the bar all day. Dude, wait, I have just a killer moment. So I was going to say, as far as influences, I would also say like... uh, uh, Oh, wait, never never mind. Sorry, I'm I'm really out of it. I'm really tired. Uh, But um, the... uh, So not like crazy special association or anything, but um, I was thinking in terms of influences... uh, um, early Amon Amarth and uh, Just Before Dawn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely say I, I, I was definitely feeling like uh, some Amon Amarth stuff popping up here and there, even some Behemoth, um, especially in the, the really like big epic kind of lead sections, which is not something I'm really acquainted to uh, for Jungle Rot. So I, I don't know if maybe this popped up on the last album or two that I wasn't paying attention to, but that's definitely a new feature. You know, the, the emphasis on these sort of uh, elaborate lead structures is something that's really, it's it's such a weird thing to incorporate into stuff like this. But if you're going for sort of like Vakken party death metal, it, it, it just makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, on to mine. So this, here's something with a little bit more of that melodic flavor. And by melodic, we really mean not complex moving line, but in the more colloquial sense of the term, it has like, you know, consonant (laughs) intervals, right? It sounds epic. Uh, let's get on to, um, asymmetric warfare, which sounds epic and also in little ways kind of bluesy.
There's something daring. I mean, I think in general there's something daring about their songwriting. But, like, that first... They wrote, like... The first riff on that song is a thrash riff so primordial that not even the bands who were writing those riffs wrote it. Right? <laughs> it's just like... You know, totally straight, not it's, like really any syncopation. It's too da, dumb da, for kill them all. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's 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 got the same kind of epic, epic Dorian scale thing as like Four Horsemen or whatever. But it's just like you know, dumb, dumb, and and that was completely deliberate. It's like we're gonna write like the thrash riff that nobody has dared to write that's all there's a lot of down picking there too which really changes how it hits um uh and then you know they they get this as you pointed out right they start throwing in this kind of melodic flourish yeah there's this crazy um because it always happens two repetitions into this surprisingly long riff you know, it's this sort of like bridging palm mute fill that happens in the middle of this elaborate sequence. Uh, it, it's it's so interesting. It's such a weird well, thing to isn't have. Isn't the on rest a song of the riff this. the same as the riff before? Yeah, it is. It's just like this weird, but it, you know, elaborate palm muted fill that happens yeah. in the middle of this sequence of repetitions. It's it's such a weird thing. You know, it's that a, is really it's really cool, and that's definitely a uh, you know a master thing, right? That you were saying this about the uh, Corpus Christi last week, but this is the sort of trick you use if you've been playing this music for thirty years. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it's also a, that really, I don't know. It, it's such a weird thing to say, but that touches on like like Bones Brigade or something to me. That little bit that I know. What's you know, Bones Brigade? Or uh, your uh, fucking post-discharge thing. Oh, it's not Bones Broken Brigade. Bones. Uh, broken yeah, Broken Bones. bones. My bad. Bones Brigade <laughs> sounds like a fucking um, emo rap. 
Well, it's a skate company, uh, and it was a uh, death grind label for a while. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Between, right. the, b- between the two of those things, you get to a post-discharge project, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it is, yeah, no, that that is a little bit like a Broken Bones thing. I mean, it's also, you know, it's got that kind of like uh, sea shanty vibe that you get on Maiden um, or, you know, Manila Road or something. Um yeah, it's like it's, there's a lot of stuff in this where it's like if you change the guitar tone and the vocals, they're basically just NWOBHM riffs. Yeah, so that part is sick. And then when they do the slow, right? And that part sets up the fact that when they later do that slowdown, which is specifically staggered to this walt time thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's a fascinating really, switch into 6-8 that is just out of fucking nowhere. It's really smart, too, because it's not the... S- it's not the six. It might actually be a three four. Um, it feels yeah, yeah, more it's, like it's really a three like four. A, yeah. If that's the thing is that it's not a. It's a simple established trick in all extreme metal that comes from thrash to go from a bar, you know a barreling four four to a uh, equally barreling six eight right. You just right. You go. You know. It's a. You know. It's it's the altar of sacrifice trick right yeah. from Rain of Blood. Um, uh, Emperor does it and Slave does it. Everyone does it. Um, uh, they go to a three, right? And that's like the kind of trick you'd hear a band like, and they go to a three playing these sort of Conan riffs, right? Barbarian metal riffs like you'd hear on a Graveland record or something. Um, it, it sounds like it's kind of like a sort of thing Ares Kingdom would do. Ares Kingdom would do it with a few more notes, but they're... That band is definitely not afraid of getting super ignorant when they want to. Um, so th- this song has a bit of that kind of arrogant thrash vibe, just way stripped down and hardcoreized, and I, I love it. Yeah. They're, they're... I mean, the vocals, too, I got to talk about, in terms of like a hardcore thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he does, the vocal hook hits when they're doing the busy, instead of saving the vocals just for like over the chug, right? The vocal hook comes over the turnaround, um, he's like sort of pushing the vocals there in the way a hardcore vocalist would. And it's it, it, he's focused on making a vocal hook. That's another thing that makes the music good. There's attention to timing in the vocals. Yeah. There's like that kind of like, you know, that adds to the whole rock and roll vibe. You get the sense that a mm-hmm. lot of these riffs are kind of built around vocal lines, but the vocal lines themselves are not so distinct as to make that obvious you know mm-hmm. it's um it, it's it, it's really interesting the way these guys write songs they're just they don't um they, they don't function in the way that death metal songs typically do at least nowadays i i think if you go back in time you know you go back to the early mid 90s they really are like death metal songs from that era you know everyone forgets i've talked about on the show it's like everyone forgets oh tampa death metal is all verse chorus based (laughs) you know and this music still is um so it's like it sounds very unusual to us now but ultimately this is keeping with a lot of trends in the style that we heard that are just not that popular anymore um so you talked a little bit, you, you got into something that is interesting, which is the blues influence on this, mm-hmm. um, which you hear a little bit on, uh, 
on asymmetric warfare. Yeah, now, the da 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 could kind of, you know, that's kind of like yeah. Dan... Just, just the way they were, yeah, just the, the interval choice on that gets a little, it gets a little, maybe not like blues blues, but it definitely, that song just definitely like Danzig blues. Oh yeah, no, definitely. But mm. then, but then when this song popped up on the record for me, Maggot Infested, holy shit, this is just a ZZ Top death metal song. Like, oh, oh my God. Like, this is so bluesy. Like, the the accidental blues influence that you'll hear in, you know, Morbid Angel and Death and stuff is seized upon and taken to a, a degree and in a direction that you would never expect right here on this track. I understand that, uh, uh, you know, Jungle Rot originates in Wisconsin, but I would like to, as a uh, resident of Florida, I'd like to give them a pass and say that from that song alone, they are members of the Dirty South. No question. (laughs) Yeah, that's like... That's like dirty with a U and three R's. (laughs) Dude, the the dick-swanging riffs on that song are just unbelievable, man. (laughs) That, oh my God. And how that bit at the end, that was crushing. I mean, they just took the, you know, the the initial flourish on the thrash. They just took that and extended it. And, you know, so I've said there are like, you know, it's mostly stock riffs on this record. But then there are moments like that where like, that's a very simple riff, but it's not a stock riff. It's even simpler than anyone would write that as. 
and the w- w- the way it's timed out over the drum, it is crushing. That is the kind of riff that a million I Hate God clones play. Yes, I, I was about to say I Hate God. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they did it without even playing a chord, right? <laughs> it, that, that's just trim. That's another cool thing about it. It's not like, um, or no, it's not trim. He's bending it. But like, it's not like a sort of, it's not a big uh, power chord thing. And it's also not like guitar solo-y. It's just a directed, very focused, directed, cutting-edge riff. Yeah, and it, it also relies on guitar techniques that were, I I think, uh, very popular in old-school death metal. These sort of um, Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix influenced, like, blues rock techniques that were mm-hmm. just you know, standard protocol to learn. If you were, say, a kid growing up in the earlier mid-90s, you would go to that. You would learn those things. And that's been mostly forgotten in death metal. And I think it, for the most part, for good reason. But then you got guys like this who bring that shit back and they explain, oh, this is why we learned it in the first place, because it sounds fucking sick and it can be incredibly heavy if you deliver it correctly. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best songs on the record, hands down. You know, I would so good, dude. <laughs> um, I was telling you during it, like, from the first sample, my uh, my pulse went up. You know, uh, to, like, uh, and, and this one just like, oh my god. So yeah, you were definitely, the ZZ Top thing totally makes sense, but I gotta say, I said, I said Danzig Blues, and that is a... I mean, those are like the riffs on Am I Demon or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the, the thrash, the more propulsive, thrashy Danzig stuff. Absolutely. And then the last one just has that kind of like suspended, heavy, like swinging thing that you get on something like Under Her Black Wings or whatever. Oh, yeah. Which, is, that, again, like, which is one of the slower numbers. It's not, it's a slower number, but it's not a ballad. It's like a just crushing sort of. Uh, southern gothic doom song well it's like yeah that last riff is the kind of thing that i would hear you know growing up in the south like there would be sort of like southern fried deathcore bands back in the 2000s wilkins agrees with me um and uh they would do riffs like that just like big like chuggy riffs with a a a huge sort of like country fried throw down turnaround at the end and i always thought that was really cool so it's so sick Uh, to hear a band like jungle rock do that (laughs) yeah in waves of bands that were often underwhelming that with deathcore or just like you know the more popular metalcore stuff right every time i die was always sick yeah, yeah, because they were doing a lot of that like country fried shit too, and, right? and they came from you know I think like rural New York. They just like, <laughs> they were not w- from there at all. <laughs> they just wanted to do that. <laughs> it probably started as a gimmick, but every time I heard it, at least it was just actually good. Yeah, it's like there there's no reason to. Well, I mean, okay, so there was a reason to shuck some of those ideas to get away from rock and roll, to get away from blues. But now we've had 30 years of people getting away from it. So it's 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 probably okay for people to do this shit now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, and they're not making the mistakes of taste that some of those early bands did, right? You know, you write a super sick death metal song and then you just like rip a like uh, 
learn how to shred VHS solo in the middle yeah. of it, you know? <laughs> you know, like, you, you just, like, it's, um... The thing that comes off an infomercial at, like, four e- in the morning. <laughs> exactly, in 1986, right? Yes. Um, it's It's... it's it's not like that at all. These are just like these. Th- that's extreme blues riffing. <laughs> Hi, the, I'm I'm Michelangelo Badio, and I want to fuck you now. <laughs> yeah, and so we got to talk about the lyrics too, right? This song is great. This heavy. This, this society is back infested. Really, um, really cool lyrics because they're just sort of they're like hardcore lyrics. Yeah, um, uh, thematically, Junk Rot's always been interesting because they've always done a mixture of, like, misanthropy, like, genuine misanthropy, mm-hmm. and sort of, like, a sort of lefty, anti-authoritarian stuff. Like, you can hear that really distinctly on Genocidal Imperium. It's just, like, mm-hmm. decrying the state and, like, the it's, security state and shit. Well, what I, it's, it's a little like... So, yeah, there's a lost art which is doing... A, a, Especially on, like, the hardcore scene or whatever, which is how do you do political songs that, like, sure, people listen and, you know, they can pick up what your take is. But, like, it speaks beyond the uh, activist target audience, right? Yeah. Like, um, uh, this... So, Rage Against the Machine is a really good example. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, like, if you're really into Ronald Reagan, you probably don't like Rage Against the Machine. But other than that, everyone fucking likes Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, Rage Um, Rules. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now you're under control. Now you do what they told you. Um, But, um, uh, you know, this is... The lyrics here are like that, too. They are very... um, You know, don't know if it's exactly the same slant as Rage, but, like, it's in that same spirit of just, like, lyrics that, you know, really the whole record kind of is about politics, but it's all just, um, it's all done in a way that is, uh, elemental and just taps into, um, everyone's sense, everyone's understanding of what is badass, and, like, pretty much no matter where you're coming from on the political spectrum, you can be listen to this record and be like, yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, <laughs> correct. It's, it's it's all straight hippity hoppity get off my property shit. <laughs> Dude, they're they're the one from two three like they're like one of their last ones has a riot cop with people's heads on his saddle. Oh like yeah, a, like yeah. a dark night, and it's just got a bunch of fucking drones over it. Oh yeah, order um, shall prevail. That's a sick record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- this is awesome, and there's just a kind of. Yes, there's a kind of um, non-denominational get-off-my-lawn-slash-fuck-you-slash-spray-paint-the-walls um, spirit here that is um, really commendable. Yeah, this straight fuck-the-cops-fuck-the-feds-fuck-anyone-who-stops-me type shit. Yeah. E- exactly, exactly. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, um, really cool band, man. You know? yeah. um, they've got a cool... They've got a cool band picture, too. You can tell they, like, dressed up nice for it. And they look (laughs) so much harder than bands trying to look hard. Like, it's honestly kind of... They look in the... You know, they're like blonde dudes with long hair. One of them has the kind of, like, Euro dreads. They look like a Swedish death metal band from the early 90s. Yeah, but they're they're from fucking Wisconsin. American dudes in the... Who are, yeah. Like, 
Absolutely. It's, it's so but, tight. <laughs> yeah, these are just, you know, these are just obviously cool dudes. Um, <laughs> well, let's, let's listen to uh, another song. Speaking talk. of, yeah, so obviously you sampled the one called Death Squad. Oh, dude, I, I totally thought about it. Dude, I actually jumped around a lot. I, I just want to talk about this before we went in. I had difficulty determining what to sample because I, you know, usually, like, as I'll do my first listen, I'll type up what I want to sample. And I bounced between songs all through this record. I bounced between, like, half of the songs on this album because... Listening to this just, you know, in sample form or just like skimming through the album, it'll all sound the same. But really, most of these songs have super distinct sort of musical identities. Most of them. Yeah, there's something special that happens on most of them or sets them apart. I couldn't tell you. I don't think Beyond the Grave is that good. Gotta say, um, yeah. if I look back at it. But uh, yeah, so there's there's some quality variation, but basically like. That, but that's one of the shorter ones, you know? I don't really remember uh, Total Extinction, do you? But every other one I remember, you know? Yeah, it's uh, like a, the, the final track, Population Suicide, has mm-hmm. crazy epic leads all through it. Um, um, the, a Call to Arms, the title track, just start. that's one of the riffier songs. It just starts out with a ripping semi-melodic riff. Yeah, Haunting Future has, like, really nasty, oh. sort of, like, almost doomy stuff going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. It's, like, there's there's really cool shit on all these songs. It's like, you would think, okay, it's a, it's a sort of a, oh, it's a big death metal band, mm-hmm. even though nobody talks about them anymore. It's like, it's on Unique Leader, so it's all going to sound the same. No, these are songs with distinct identities and... It's just, this is a, I, I, it, it sounds fucking stupid, but I want to express to people listening to the show. I understand you listen to the show to hear your like newest weirdo, obscure fucking USBM record. But like jungle rot did a really good album that you, (laughs) you know, it's a absolutely like, um, it's, you know, I think another thing I noticed about this song, which ties it to hardcore, is that they write in sequences. Um, mm-hmm. This is actually full album written, I think. I'm just thinking of that oh, now. But I, I think something so. yeah, I noticed, definitely a structure to Something I noticed was that the high points are, yeah, it's, it's honestly, kind, the high points are two song sequences, I would say. So, like, yes, to yes. me... More than any of the long ones, to me, I think the highlights are, although some of the long ones are good, I, Genocidal Imperium into Asymmetric Warfare. We, we both did we did pairs. Yes, yes. Yeah. Those are the centers of the record. Um, Maggot Infested goes directly into Death Squad. So let's hear it.
that last one of the last lines on there is like a, it, you know the song is about like blindly obeying it's like if you went to college to get A's <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's, it's so that's like a meme on the discord now it's like when something's really bad you're like oh that guy went to college like <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit maybe just ended there well, actually, you, you broke up at the end when you were talking about the line, so do it again, and we'll end there. Okay, so, uh, okay, all right. So just at, from the end of the sample? Yeah. Dude, did you hear, like, a couple a couple lines from the end? The guy, you're right, the lyrics are about just, like, blindly doing what you're told, being a cog and a complicit, and with one of them, he's just like, uh, you... If you went to college, you'd probably get A's.
And we are back from uh, me telling the death metal guy everything that happens in the North, man, um, <laughs> to uh, review a, a fitting album, uh, Verzet by uh, Germany's Horn. More alpine than uh, fjord-based, but um, nonetheless extremely Teutonic. Um, and uh, this is... Horn was one of the first, literally one of the literally first we ever reviewed. First episode, we covered the last Horn record. Horn and Winterfilleth, right? yeah, and yeah. maybe a couple others. Um, and uh, you know, yeah. So this has been a band I've been following for quite a while at this point, probably like, you know, twenty sixteen. I don't know. Um, he's been doing shit forever. He's about our age, and I think he he started just self-releasing his, his stuff when he was pretty young i think um yeah first one was yarasite yarasite and in 2005 was the first full length um uh those who you know don't know uh it is pretty unique kind of folky black metal um it uh it started at where he started out it was like it was kind of like atmo black but like really raw and clearly like listening to like you know Graveland or whatever and kind of before have, the whole Atmo Black thing really blew up. That's that's true. Yeah, Naturecraft and Dist. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Naturecraft was the last thing he really did in that vein, and then it was already getting kind of darker. But the first three records, which was at first what he was known for, are these kind of um, exuberant, youthful records about being out in nature, and they have these very sort of clearly defined cascading alpine horn melody alphorn melodies um you know like uh um all, sort of dorian folk melodies that are almost pentatonic is kind of the horn signature which we'll talk about more on here um but he did a few of those and then it started getting a little more dark started doing some more stuff about history stuff like that uh, the middle records sound a little post-punky honestly um from what i remember uh, but then he got to Termam Hang, which is uh, really what, really, I think I'd, li I'd listened to some of those earlier records, but I really got into Termam Hang. Um, and that was, uh, there the sound became a lot darker, a lot more muscular, closer to conventional black metal in some ways, but still extremely folky. Started to bring in some orchestration, um, really just album cover is awesome. Reaper walking home under a gray sky in front of a, an old watchtower. Um, you know, like a, a you know, a, a turret, um, a stone turret. Um, sounds like that. Every song on the record is awesome. I don't skip, like, and they all have different identities. Um, now we reviewed Moan Gang. We, what did we, what did we think of Moan Gang? Was uh, the last one that was 2020, 2020 when we started our show? So, Mon Gang, I actually looked up my old notes about that, mm -hmm. and I was listening to samples from Mon Gang from mm -hmm. our first episode because I have autism. Um, and I, I, I think, well, I, I guess your opinions are more important because you're more familiar with the band. But for me, it was like I, I generally liked it, but there was just a there was a lot of stuff on that record that sounded um, a little too middle of the road for me, a little bit too kind of traditional folk black in a sense. I remember it was like extremely varied song to song in terms of what I really enjoyed, uh, which is actually kind of the 
same case on this record. Not to spoil mm-hmm. things, but yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think last time I liked it better than you, uh, but it was sort of, it seemed like a sort of victory lap record. Like he had, Termamhang was this just magnificent culminating statement, and this was like refining melodic and orchestration ideas from that, adding some more orchestration. Uh, the key things he introduced there were like doing more punk beat driven stuff, mm-hmm. uh, more to sort of like alpine d beat songs and some of those were those were some of the best he had one that was like that on sort of like that on term hang uh, but this um you know on term hang it was like a more sort of burly power chord aggressive song and on this he played with like playing these sort of like you know he glistening guitar tone in classically right so playing these sort of um glistening cascading leads over like motorhead beats or whatever right and some of those songs were pretty cool uh and he also did some stuff that's a little more like um a little more orchestrated a little more like uh like doom metal um so uh so it a standout track was one of those is upstream canals a ship's bell sounds yeah that was like one of the big songs yeah yeah that was awesome i still think of that i get that song in my head i still listen to it um so but yeah, you found that one to have a few too many kind of interchangeable, stompy, mid-paced, stompy folk black tracks, right? Um, yeah, generally, yes. And his his that that is his sort of default song type, right? At least at this point, at, at least after those mid-period albums, it's moved to, to the sort of like driving mid-tempo uh, stuff. Um, and uh, this record is. Well, it does something new things. It does some things that are very new. Some things kind of the same. Um, I, yeah, I would say we pretty much overall agree on this one. So let's get into it. Um, uh, why don't we just lead off with the first track? Well, very easy because that's my first sample. <laughs> so. Right. So real quick, I, I, I think that my general opinions about this band haven't changed a whole lot. Um, so obviously, so nothing on this record is bad. I want to get that out of the way. There's definitely things that I find more interesting than others, and we'll get into that. Um, I think that... Um, this is like this is a record composed of like half songs that I love and half songs that just slip right by me. Um, but let's go to literally zero seconds on the opening track, Pine Moose uh, Gereiben als Korn. Um, and this is already on the short list for song of the year. So let's do it.
that is so goddamn good. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, came to me out of nowhere um, when I was first listening to it uh, is uh, the uh, Compass Wood uh, yeah. record that we covered from Old Mill. This sort of like frantic, oh. fucking like too much going on folk black stuff. Oh, yeah. I bet those guys are big horn fans. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Dude, when I heard this song, when I first played it, listening for the show, I started just cackling like 30 seconds in to this song. And it's like I brought my wife over. and I was like, dude, check this shit out. And I played like the first couple minutes and she was like, yeah, I, I want to listen to this. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like this is the ultimate like maximalist vindeer. Uh, but like, just like a little bit more oi punk thing that I've always wanted. This is, this is phenomenal, dude. Yeah, this definitely, this track in particular definitely fulfills the Alpine hardcore vibe that, uh, was kind of beginning to coalesce on the last record. Dude, Um, like the Alpine hardcore is, well, you know, spoiler for everyone, that's the shit that I like on this album. This, like, Alpine hardcore, this sort of, like, oi punk meets uh, folk black stuff, which is, you know, not an unconventional combination, but the way this guy executes it is very distinct. Uh, Just because he's... This is clearly a guy who's a very sophisticated musician and composer. Um, That Vindir influence really comes out, but also... You know, it comes out in a different way because he's accessing these intense sort of hardcore punk vibes. Like, it's like, it's heavy. You know, it's not just sweet. It's it's like there's viciousness to it. Yeah, yeah this one's very vicious. He's capable of doing really vicious songs. The fast one on Termite Hang was just nasty. You'd really like that one. Um, but, um... Another thing that makes this good, so two musical things, like... Or a few musical things, like... He he's doing the uh, sort of noble uh, folk lead as the main riff in the way he was on the songs of this type on the last record, but he's doing it with like a lot a different tone. It's much more. I don't know if it's the first time he's used this tone, but he's doing hot distortion on the lead, right? Or yeah, much yeah. it's much hotter. It doesn't have that sort of glistening thing, crystalline sound. Um. It just sounds like a heavy, heavy oi black melody, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that when it we, sounds Finnish, kind of. Um, I, th- I think that when we first talked about him on the first episode, uh, mm-hmm. I had talked about like a, a relationship to Vintericate, because even mm-hmm. the last record was more Atmo Black than this, at least in yeah, terms yeah, of production. Yeah. Um, this though is like it's hot, it's intense. There's like a, a real fucking aggression to it. Yeah, and it's and the, it's the other fuck. <laughs> the other thing that really adds to the aggression is that uh, dulcimer line over it. Um, so good, tremming. Like, <laughs> just I mean, there's like that gimmick band botanist that does dulcimer black metal, yeah. but like this sounds really good. Well, I, yeah, this is. It's it's um like he has the guitar and the dulcimer. They're doing different lines, although they're just doubling the same riff, which is awesome. And he's tre- he's not doing the expected thing, right? He's trending the dulcimer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's also just like how much is going on. I mean, this uh, a two minute sample 
and there's six or seven distinct parts in it that nothing is repeated more than twice. He's just going on. And a lot of it, yeah, obviously, a lot of it is like playing off the same general melodic mm-hmm. idea. But the the maximalist presentation of it and the, the sheer energy behind it is oh, fucking incredible. The, the chord change at the end. Another thing there is like a lot of... Some horn really sounds like folk song. Some of it sounds more like kind of abstracted at mode folk, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this track really lands like, you know, it sounds like Schlager, like actual sort of beer hall, yeah. polka y beer hall music. There's a real um, Schlager vibe to some of the best songs on this record. The melodies, the melodies just sort of. the mel- They're not sort of like. Sometimes he'll do very long versions of these kind of folk melodies, some of which are good, some of which are are more sort of diffuse and kind of not really, you know, lots going on, but not really direction. These are focused, directed folk melodies. Um, And uh, they, it's very close to just, these are just elemental horn riffs in terms of the note choice, but they have a lot more bite. and, um, uh, And, you know, in terms of adhering... He's following conventions of like Schlager and related kinds of folk there. So there's a big, that big chord change at the end is like one of the best parts of the song. Um, instead of doing the phoned in thrash up a fourth, it's a fifth, I think. Um, it's really just rousing, stirring, and yeah, I want this band to, I think at this phase of horn, I would like to hear more stuff that sounds like this. Yeah, no, I we completely agree on that. It's like people, I I think that people don't realize that like the heart of a lot of folk music, especially Schlager stuff, is um, it's like do people realize this is the equivalent of mosh pit music mm-hmm. for you know for you know the seventeen hundreds and shit? It, it it's like rowdy, yeah, it's rowdy. Yeah, it, it's yeah. supposed to be rowdy as fuck. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to party to this shit and not in like the lame Corpaclani way but in the way of like oh we're actually gonna fight we're gonna get drunk and we're gonna fight and we're gonna party and I and the other thing that always interests me about stuff like this guys that really access the folk tradition is the idea of using these these things that in isolation would be very kind of sad minor key melodies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but within the context they are exciting and rousing and fucking you know enervating you know i think that's that's the uh, not the word you mean oh innervating elevating i think uh, enervating means it tires you and depresses you i want the opposite of that the opposite of enervating my bad (laughs) (laughs) I'm a fucking idiot. I don't know words. Um, so yeah, no, the, the energizing. You know, there you go. You know, yeah, it's, that's, it, yeah. I think it's, energizing. It's, it's exciting. It's uh, you know, you're you're ready to go when you hear yeah. this shit. It's know? um, yeah, and some of Horn is kind of solitary mountain music, and this really nails the uh, that kind of social vibe. That's for sure. Um, so. Let's talk about, um, I guess, like, um, the weaker spots on this record. So, one thing we talked about last time, right, was how this guy is, uh, Nerath is the main dude. He, he's, or the, the dude. He's got an auteur vibe, right? This is, 
he it's his solo project and he is sort of over the years obsessively refining certain melodic ideas right i think he he found this particular kind of melody that really uh resonated with him and worked for horn and he has with various kinds of variation over the years don't get me wrong he's found all sorts of inventive ways to change up the formula album to album but the melodic core of this music is always those sort of uh almost pentatonic uh whole step emphasizing kind of riffs right um and uh you know almost sounds kind of celtic right uh yeah and um and like you know i think last time maybe the, you know those were and you know so usually it's these swaggering these days usually it's these swaggering mid-tempo stomp beats and riffs like that and on the last album you know you weren't so into those stuff those things but i sort of defended it i was like you know this he's continually playing with these ideas he's really good at changing them up um and that's true but you know uh on this record i feel like um I'm finally ready to hear some new riffs. Um, yeah. And uh, so this one is, this was the lead single, weirdly. Um, on, like the, and I get why you would make the calling card track your like, lead single if you're like Hate Forest doing a comeback, right? You're just like, here's the one that sounds like a Hate Forest track. I don't need it to be the best Hate Forest track. But I will, remi- I will demonstrate to you that no, we, we, you know, we don't have a kazoo player now, right? Yeah. Um, uh, this is... Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't think anyone needs reassurance of consistency here. Uh, so this is, um, I think we agree. It might be the weakest track on the oh, record. Firmly agreed. Yeah, this is the weakest. So, so let's let's listen through it, and then but and then we can talk about it in some sort of different ways. Well, you kind of you kind of did a service to that song because you're accessing like the most exciting part of it. <laughs> well, the last riff is actually one of the better. That, that's one of the that's a good horn riff. The last riff. Um, uh, but then the back half of that song just really just lurches through it. It gets the last track. It's uh, the the rest of the track. He introduces some orchestration, like it has a cello on it. Yeah, but like it's not necessary. Or rather, it just doesn't. The the it doesn't. The orchestra. It's not like the cello is playing some inventive new line or something. Um, it just makes it a little more uh, top heavy. 
Um, but yeah, and, and it slows, it's the same melody, it's slowed down. But yeah, so, um, you know, in terms of this, this track, I thought, you know, there's no need to, like, complain about it more, right? Uh, but, like, one reason that this track is the most underwhelming is that it's the one where he's most set in these kind of, uh, in the reflexive gestures he's established. Um, and so in that sense, it's kind of interesting as a, on, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's not, it's not great and it's not exciting, but on the other hand, it's a good example of like his style distilled to just the most basic constitutive parts. Um, and so if you want to talk about that kind of, you know, I, I like that over the years he's had this continual work and rework thing. That's generally, that's a cool method and he's done a great job with it. But like, so what is that kind of, that, that thing that makes the horn riff, the horn riff? Um, and I was, uh, and I was trying to think about it. And so I like mapped out the riff, one of them. Honestly, I'm, I, I think I'm now super tired, and so I've somewhat forgotten which riff I meant to map out, but I think it was the one that went... Yeah, 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 yeah. And he does very, a couple different rhythmic variations on that. Um, and so what I found was, you know, it's like I actually... There is a distinctive thing going on. Is right? He starts on a five... And he goes with a minor, you know, a you know minor third or whatever. I don't know, you know, like three up the fretboard, um, uh, right? Uh, goes to goes to the four, um, so and then goes to the leaps to the seven, right? The flat seven. So he's got a this leap to the seven is big for him because that makes that kind of like alpine ascent thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then down to the five. Duh, 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 um, five, four, five, hangs on the five, down to the four, and then the turnaround. Duh, duh, duh. So the only places he's he plays a half step in that entire phrase is on the turnaround, mm. right? The um the, the you know like flat three or minor three two, uh, and then you know uh, he's doing the minor seven again, but from like under underneath he's, he's down an octave from where it was before so it's so interesting thing so he he when the riff comes back in when it loops back in i noticed he never actually played the one anytime in that phrase on the lead um when it loops back in i noticed oh when he hits the five the bass is playing the one but yep. like one reason he gives it this kind of like arcing um uh, sort of very lots of vertical movement in the riffs and you know it's that he never hits that root note quite he keeps it a little bit suspended um and it also you know um but that can also contribute to the weakness of the the riffs the horn riffs that aren't as good can seem like they're about to float away into the air yeah i it, you know honestly that's a difference you know the difference between this and the one we just sam you just sampled is that he plays the root note on that one. <laughs> well, it's also, I mean, really what you're getting to, and mm -hmm. I think we both agree on it, is the, uh, to, to get out from the, uh, the wandering world of, uh, music theory is, uh, we really like the, uh, the oi punk inspired mm -hmm. stuff. And then the more diffuse Graveland type stuff is just not the strong suit. 
and I would also just say this doesn't sound like Graveland. Um, it's a little bit like the Terizus riff, um, but like I don't think the Stockhorn riff is that Gravelandy. Um, I think maybe you're associating Graveland the, the, with the sort of broad epic black metal thing. Sure, sure, okay, yeah, epic folky black metal with sort of immediately satisfying kind of big big riffs. Yeah, it's a it's a little like following the voice of blood type melodies, but um. The uh, the old stuff had these more like loping beats and kind of like necrotone, which is kind of more Graveland. But um, I get what you mean. I'm sure he I'm sure he listens to them, right? But it's um, uh, yeah. The track at this point, I feel like I obviously you can record. Uh, you know, like I understand doing a track like this on every record or something. But at this point, like given that he's mastered this style so much and he's put out great songs that sound like that, I would uh, like to hear some new experimentation with new kinds of riffs. Right? <laughs> and that doesn't just mean new voicings. I mean, like, find new melodic stems. Right? That doesn't mean you never play a horn riff again. It'd be weird if the record didn't have a bunch of those on it, right? Yeah. But, like, you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> don't don't betray your roots. But, well, like, now- it's... Um, well, I'm kind of curious now, you know, mm-hmm. kind of leading into my next sample, which is um, so on the last horn record, we were really interested in that track um, Upstream Canals of Ship Spell Sounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then here on Verzad, uh, there's A Hill to Die On. So there's, uh, I don't know if this is a standard thing with horn, but the idea of uh, doing an English language song. That's a little bit more experimental, uh, a little bit different. Um, but that was a distinct song off the last record. And then this new one, A Hill to Die On, the English language song off this, is also kind of different and kind of interesting. And it's one of my favorite songs on the record. And then just going back into the discography, like uh, uh, Termon uh, Hang is... Uh, uh, you've got a uh, you got a cover that's English language on that, but I I'm wondering if it's like okay so he's we've got a a period here where he's reserving these more experimental ideas for these English language songs, hmm. Hmm. but uh, a hill to die on very interesting song, uh, really cool stuff happens throughout this and also I like how it just starts with uh, Aerials by System of a Down. I heard that too! (laughs) Because it is the riff.
why didn't he do that keening fucking bend guitar like another eight times after that? <laughs> yeah, no, that part's sick. That's so sick. Because it's like, uh, okay, so it's like this... The, the way this track evolves is so interesting. I think it's comparable to the English language track on the last record. You know, the idea yeah. of, uh, you know, you've got this slowly evolving riff, you know, based off this simple arpeggiated figure, and then it moves into kind of a DSBM direction, and then he overwhelms it by sort of using those chords uh, in almost like a, a gloomy man of war way. It's, mm, it, I bet it, this guy loves man of war. He's jacked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but I still like man of war. But uh, yeah, so it's like it, there's a really cool thing that happens here because like songs like Alpen Recorder, you know, the last track that we sampled are like you can you can hear how they're like stock horn songs in a way mm-hmm. but then you know periodically he goes into certain songs that are very distinct you know uh, there's like listening to this song there's a very clear vision for it that is not operating within the same parameters as other songs and it's really exciting and it's really fucking cool and i wish he would do more like this yeah, so, I mean, you'd really like Term of Hang because um, the horn songs on it are more, like, the tip, the classic standard songs are more just bangers that you would like. Yeah. And they have cool, off. they often have, like, more cool blasting riffs on them. Mm. And then, like, there's, yeah, definitely some um, uh, very heavy brooding stuff more like this where he gets a little more tension in the chords that's a thing where i was going to say when he's playing rhythm guitar there's more variation mm-hmm. it's the leads that almost always have that kind of obsessive melody in it yeah. um so like when he's doing these chords here he has no problem making it sort of giving it this kind of brooding depth in the chords Right, the last one, you know, I think like uh, Bastion im Seagang Tauber Seagang Tauberfels was like really heavy. Um uh and um you know, and also of course the cover song. Yeah. Uh but um yeah, I think this is really it yeah, it's a it's spiritually it seems like a term I'm hang track, but you're right that you know, he's incorporated more and more of the cleans over time. His singing is great. Yeah, no, I, I I love when he's doing the clean shit. The melody sounds super familiar to me, and I think I tried to place where it was, and I think it's n- maybe there's something like it on Moan Gang, but I feel like I also heard that melody on the Apparition of Sunlight record that came out this summer. Oh, impossible. Last summer, last summer. It's maybe he was listening to it and it just accidentally stuck in his head. But either way, it sounds great here, and it really fits in his song. Um, it's uh. It, it um, just sort of bursts out there. Um, I think he should do more of the clean singing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally yeah. down because he's, it's awesome every time he does it. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the opposite of no clean singing. Yes, clean singing. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, but the... Uh, but yeah, like it's... Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite... It, that, that one is awesome, basically. Um, and that segues into my next one. I mean, I feel like... I feel like in terms of the kinds of stuff that we're really liking on this and that the, where we would love him to go, the future is like, on the one hand, push it towards either extreme, right? 
on the yeah. one hand, he he clearly wants to write, likes writing, and wants to write more of these sort of like driving schlager black songs. So do it, I say. Um, and you know, he, he you know we he wants to do it. We want him to do it. And on the other hand, right, he's clearly interested in writing these longer, more expansive, building kind of heavy metal-y tracks. Yes, the these songs are great too. So on that note, like next sample, it's uh, Verza. It's the title track. Um, for a long time, he's had Funeral Doom in his genre attacks on Bandcamp. And mm, it kind of makes sense because, you know, Horn can have its very solemn moments. And he plays in this uh, band called Crossvault, which is this kind of like um, trad doom band, very mournful trad doom. But because it's him and guys he knows, it's kind of medieval sounding. So it's got a bit of an epic doom vibe, too. Um, uh, you know, sad night doom, um, <laughs> you know, uh and um it and so yeah like this veritzet is um so certain tracks like the one you just sampled has some of that like funeral doom compositional expanse to it um yeah. this track does too and i would say this one is very much analogous to upstream canal ship spell sounds um uh, or Sky's not always been this way. So um, it seems like he's into doing at least one of these on each album. But, you know, I'd just love to hear more like this and let's listen to it.
Yeah, so here, when that horn part starts to hit at the end, right, when you get back into the stomp beat, it's like, hell yeah! Right? So, yeah. yeah. It's it, like, it, it's, it, it's all... The, it, it This guy's interesting because there's, like, moments where those parts hit really well, and then there's parts where they kind of sink, like on Alpen Recorder. And I think I'm, it's... I'm trying I to think, figure out what the distinction is. Well, I think partly it's just, I think he probably... I think the, those songs were better on average when he was more excited, when they were newer to him, would be my guess. Mm. He was more excited by that style. But also just, I think there's things about the riffs on those songs. And I honestly think something like some of the melodies just, and this has been a thing in the past too. It just didn't happen as much. Some of the melodies are just wispy in the way that Atmo Black melodies are. And I think it it has to do with that hanging out on the fifth and leaping to the seventh and like never, never hitting the root note, never hitting like strong minor intervals, like a minor six or whatever. On these kinds of tracks, he's not afraid of that at all. You know, on the schla- on you know on the driving punky ones and on tracks like this, he's just giving himself way more range. Um, and the mood is just you know heavy, heavy as fuck, right? This this one is you can hear Bathory on this, right? Um, it's a uh, it those are the one road to Asa Bay keyboards in the background at the beginning, but it doesn't sound like. The ba- the obligatory Bathory tribute, right? It's it it um it really um just uses that and really goes somewhere with it. The singing is awesome. He is not just doing it as a chorus. Um, and there's something about it where like as somber as it is, it's still really stirring. You know, isn't isn't this song kind of just like uh? You know, this guy really listens to Man of War. Es ist ein Schnitter, der heißt Tod, hat Gewalt vom großen Gott. Heute wetzt er das Messer, es schneit schon viel besser, bald wird er drein schneiden. Wir müssen's wohl leiden. Hüt dich schön's Blümelein. Was heute noch grün und frisch da steht, wird morgen weggemäht. Die Edelnarzissel, die englische Schlüssel, Der schöne Jahrzehnt, die türkische Wind. Hüt dich schön's Blümelein. Viel hunderttausend ungezählt, unter der Sichel hinfällt. Und Rosen weiß liegen, Weit wird er austilgen, ihr Kaiserkronen, man wird euch nicht schonen. Hüt dich schön's Blümelein. O König, Kaiser, Fürst, 
Tag. Hört euch vom Schnitter sehr. Der Herzensbetrüber, je länger, je lieber, macht alles herunter, tut keinem besonders. Hüllt dich schönst
Ein Fluch dem König, dem König der Reichen. Den unser Elend nicht konnte erreichen. Der den letzten Groschen von uns erpresst. Und uns wie Hunde schießen lässt. Und Mutter den Wurm erquickt. Wir heben ein Leichentuch, wir heben hinein den dreifachen Fluch. 